Howdy folks, today we're going to talk drones, portraits and how to get started in the photography industry right after this. Welcome to Camera Shake, where we bring you the insider scoop on all things photography and videography, giving you a unique opportunity to stay ahead of the curve. We spend literally hundreds of hours interviewing some of the most renowned photographers of our time. In fact, and I mentioned this last week, it was 209,233 seconds in 2023 alone. That's nuts. That's a lot of hours. In fact, get your calculators out and message me to let me know how many. Because, uh, you know, whoever gets back to me with the right answer will get a special mention on the show. Promise. Anywho, I'm your host, Kirsten Nuts. And before we get into it, I've got one thing to ask of you. I've noticed that over 65% of our viewers on YouTube and listeners in audio are not actually subscribed to this channel. You can really help us out by hitting that subscribe button. It'll help us get even more amazing guests on the show. Just one click, it'll take a mere second. Thank you so much. Without further ado though, let's give it up for today's special guest. All the way from Bristow, Oklahoma, give it up for drone, family and portrait photographer, Andy Horton. Andy, man, how are things? Awesome, man. How are you? I'm very good. Now, what people don't know is that it took me about like five or six different attempts to get my words together for this intro. But, you know, yeah, editing software, good thing. <laughs> anyway, Absolutely. Good to have you on the show, man. Good to be here. Eddie, um, I mentioned in the intro, uh, you really, you started with drone photography and uh, and then you, so, you know, you, you set up, you set yourself up um, as a family and portrait photographer over uh, in Oklahoma. So what, let's talk about drones first, because that's super interesting. And then what we'll do is we'll get to how to actually make the transition from like, uh, you know, doing photography as a hobby into a business in a little while. But let's start with drones, because, you know, we like talking drones. Always interesting. How did you get started with, uh, with drones and drone photography? So at the time, this is back in like 2010, 2011, um, I was working overseas with a robotics company and uh, a lot of the technology that we used was remote control. And uh, that same technology stepped over into drones. So I was automatically interested in drones because I did, I basically did drones for a living. I just did them inside a pipe. And so I, at the time you couldn't really buy a lot of off the shelf drones that were any good. You had to pretty much build your own. So I started buying kits and building my own. This is before the Phantom really became a big thing. Uh, and at that time, uh, there was no gimbal stabilized footage or anything. Like you just stuck the camera to the drone and your footage was just herky jerky. No matter where you pointed the drone, that's the way the camera pointed. It wasn't smooth. It looked horrible. I thought it was the best thing ever. Um, but now I look back at that old footage and it's awful. It's terrible. But, um, I started doing that as for, just for the sake of having fun. And, you know, of course got the neighbors involved and, you know, we, we did all sorts of really stupid stuff with drones and crashed them all over the countryside. And, um, over time I started building my own gimbal stabilized, uh, cameras and basically just making a motorized gimbal attaching a gopro to that and stabilizing it and you know there was a lot of tuning and stuff involved that it 
took up a massive amount of time. I mean, if you if you had to do that today commercially, it just really wouldn't be worth the time that you would invest to do that. Um, but at the time, it was fun, and uh, I got approached by a couple of people that wanted me to do that uh, for their video production. And um, at that time, uh, that was when there was a lot of um, I want to say confusion. There was a, it was a, it was an odd regulatory period, uh, for drones at that time. Uh, that was when they were trying to do what was called a, an exemption three, 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 where you had to basically have a light sport pilot's license, uh, to commercially fly a drone. And so it was, it took a lot of jumping through hoops to do that. I was already an aircraft mechanic. I'd actually already got that license and I'd already had ground school. So it wasn't, it wasn't horrible. It was a bit of an expense to do it, but, um, so I, I did that. I flew drones for a few people, um, and they were shooting all the footage on the ground and they were doing interviews and stuff like that. And I thought, well, if I could do that too, then maybe I could, you know, be the one-stop shop and not just be the drone guy. I could be the video guy. And so I started looking at cameras. Well, at the, at that time, this was probably like 2013, like one of the, maybe a little later than that, the biggest bang for your buck in a camera, uh, to do 4k footage at that time that I could find was like a Sony mirrorless, uh, a really small body, a crop camera. Um, so I, I picked one of those up. And I started shooting videos with it. And I was doing events and promotional videos. And in the area that I live in, there are a lot of like rodeo, equestrian, uh, that kind of thing. We have stuff out here in Oklahoma and Arkansas. It's uh, chuck wagon racing, which is the gnarliest uh, like equestrian sport that you'll ever see in your life. It's it's crazy. And I still do stuff for them. Um but I got involved in that with videos and, uh, I went to an event and at that time, I mean, I, I think I literally think the shutter count on my camera, cause it was a mirrorless camera. I could totally take photos with that camera. Uh, I think the shutter count was zero. And I showed up to this event and at that time, and still I do a lot of stuff on a handshake. I, you know, no contract, you know, I know people will scream at me for this, but, um, I show up and basically the, the client looks at me and says, we've decided we're not going to use your video. I'm like, but you, you let me show up. Like I'm here with all of my equipment. What am I supposed to do? And so, um, I was there and I thought, well, I'll, uh, I'll take photos and I'll just see, I'm, I'm just going to play with my camera and take photos and see what happens. And, um, the camera that I had was, uh, I think that was the Sony a 6300 at that time. And it had the first, like the imaging edge. Uh, I don't even know if it was called imaging edge at that time. I can't remember what it was called, but it was some, it was the predecessor to that or something It was on my phone and you could transfer images from your camera to your phone. And I was thinking like a videographer, uh, my camera settings and stuff like now, if I looked at that, I would, there's no way I would 
use those settings. I was using, I was thinking, you know, 180 rule. And I thought when I sped my shutter speed up to like 500th of a second or something, it was super fast. <laughs> so it was not even, I had no clue what I was doing. Uh, took a few photos, transferred them to my phone. I happened to have one of the contestants phone numbers and I just sent some photos to him and I said, Hey, here's a few photos. If any of the other competitors are interested, I'm, I'm, I'm set up on this corner on the track and I'm, I'm taking pictures. And, uh, they, there was a warmer response to that than what I thought there would be. And at that time it felt like, you know, instant gratification because I didn't have to go home and spend two hours per minute of edited footage to deliver a product. It was just, here's your photos. Um, so that was, so when someone asked me when my photography career started, I can tell them to the hour. I can tell them that it was 2017, July 10th at 1 PM. <laughs> this is exactly when that happened. <laughs> so, because it was just, I was, it was over. I, I mean, I've still done a, some video projects and stuff since then, but it was, I knew I was going to take pictures after that. Um, so which, you know, at, it's, it's funny because I liked it at the time because I wasn't spending a lot of time editing and now I'm spending a massive amount of time editing. <laughs> so, uh, so that's, that's a bit ironic. Uh, but, uh, I think the more, the more that I worked, the less I did video, the more I did photos. And then the more that I did, uh, photos too, like the less I flew drones. Like I still do it every once in a while, but that's a very, very minor thing. I, I went through the whole uh, 107 licensing process and, and, uh, all of that stuff. But, uh, I just, I don't, I have like maybe a couple of big events that cause me to keep that up to date, but, um, nine, 90% of my work now is all, is all photography. But one thing I will and I probably should have said this before we started. Um, I still do quite a bit of event work, and I even work with a couple of other photographers that do really large equestrian event, like barrel racing, stuff like that. Um, I was on the phone with one this morning before we started talking about an event we've got coming up, which is BBR Worlds, which BBR is Better Barrel Races. Uh, and in Oklahoma city, they'll have an event coming up in April that there'll be about 2000 contestants there. Um, and they'll be running three different arenas at the same time. And we'll be photographing all of that all at once. So we'll probably shoot somewhere in the neighborhood of about 150,000 photos in about three or four days. So, and all of that will be cataloged and you'll be able to look that up under the, under your name. So it's, that's an interesting feat. That's not my doing. That's a friend of mine and her, and her programming friend that have developed their own software that does that. And it's extremely impressive. Um, but yeah, as far as transitioning from, I guess, doing it as a hobby, I mean, it's a similar story. I mean, I, I kind of accidentally fell into photography, but I've heard, heard this a lot from other photographers and it's kind of that, it's kind of true to me too. Um, is that at some point you're going to keep doing it for fun. And at some point your work will get to the point where someone's going to want it. And somebody's going to ask you to take a portrait for them or 
something to that effect. I had, uh, you know, and it's usually a relative, you know, I had uh, a cousin that was graduating from high school and wanted to do his senior pictures and, and reached out to me. And, uh, so I did those and I, and of course, you know, they, they get posted to Facebook or social media and then someone else says, who was that photographer? And it kind of, it kind of goes from there. Um, and then you, can stumble into a side hustle without even realizing that you have a side hustle. You can just start doing it to the, you know, and, um, I guess in my case, I kind of had a bit of a, well, it was more of a, I fell off of a cliff more than a nudge. Um, my, I was, I was on a job overseas. I came home on vacation with my folks and, uh, we took a trip to Colorado and, uh, my mother, uh, had a heart attack and passed away out there on vacation with us. I, I found her in our camper. And, uh, so that was, you know, as you can imagine, devastating for not only me, but especially my dad. Um, and, you know, we came home from that. I, I tried to go back to work overseas. Um, uh, I was worried sick because you know dad had mom and dad had been together for you know 60 years uh and uh so he's on a a 107 acre ranch out here and so i was i was worried sick about him and uh not having a great time on the job overseas and finally it was kind of a push came to shove and i was like i'm done uh, and I had, uh, at that time, a bit of a cushion to fall on. I'd saved up, you know, a decent amount of money working, doing those jobs overseas. And, uh, so I, I came back home and, uh, one thing led to another. I picked up a camera and I just kind of went for a full blast. I eat, sleep, breathe it. You know, I, I don't do anything. Else. I'm not even sure I'm employable at this point. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I know what you said. I know exactly what you say. You know, that's an that's an really interesting, um, interesting uh, points that you made. I mean, what? Let's you know, let's start with. You were talking about uh, shooting in the question event, and then mm. basically just saying, "Okay, well, here are the photos. You know, if you want them, like there they are, and like sharing your photos." Now, I always think, you know, especially in the beginning, that's a really good way of. Uh, getting noticed and getting your name out there into the community just generally, you know, is to basically just start, yeah. you, know, you know, attracting attention by giving your work away for free. And people often say that, you know, in a business sense, it's not easy to do anything for free. Well, actually, in the beginning, this might not necessarily be the worst thing because then all of a sudden people know that that's what you do, you know, and I would often, I often feel that, you know, the more you give, the more you receive in sort of a, in a traditional sense, whatever. But Absolutely. You, know, you know what I'm you know what I'm saying? It's it's yeah. it's a really good way to start. Um and you know, just to pick pick an event, like for instance, an equestrian event like where you live, or it could be like, you know, a sports event around here. There's there's plenty plenty of sports events, whether that's it could be dirt bike racing, you know, it could be I've done a lot of that. You know, I'm like I'm near London and there are lots of there are plenty of equestrian events around here. They're a little bit more right. formal, <laughs> you know, usually here. But, uh, you know, the British traditional horse riding thing. But, uh, right. you know, but there's just plenty of, I mean, it could be, it could be an athletics event. It could be, well, you know, whatever, like, uh, you know, a car, car event or whatever. You know, actually, in fact, yeah. you know, car events, car events are beautiful. 
I have a friend who um, owns a Ferrari, and uh, he doesn't actually have that much money. It sounds sounds pretty, you know, grandiose for somebody. Yeah, I, want, I think he's put his life savings into this car, but <laughs> right, but it's, you know, but he's just really into it, and so he's uh, he, he's a part or a member of like lots of these uh, you know Ferrari uh, owners clubs and stuff like that, and so he takes part in those. You know, they do, they go on drives and they showcase their cars and whatever. And I accompanied him a few times, and obviously I took photos. Yeah, clearly. I mean, there's lots of cool cars around, so why wouldn't I? Absolutely. And, you know, and really the thing is that when you're a car owner, you're really proud of your car. And so having somebody, you know, offer you photos of your car, I mean, you're going to take that. Oh, yeah. And it's a really great way of, you know, of, of getting to know people in that, in that arena, basically. And so that's a really, it's a, it's a great way to, to get into, to get to that point where eventually, eventually somebody's going to come back to you and say like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to give you hard cash for you to take photos. And at that point you're in business. Right. Oh, like, yeah. The minute, the minute somebody pays you to, right. to uh, get you to do photographs, that is it. And then, you know, you, you, you can expand from there. So that's a really right. good way of, you know, of, of getting into it. But, as always, you know, you're gonna to have to give something in order to receive something back eventually. It's how I always feel with those things. Oh yeah. And I think I don't think everybody wants to stop doing that. They always say, Oh, you shouldn't work for free, but I don't really necessarily see it that way because I think some of my biggest self advertisement I like I get a lot of high school seniors. That's what I like to do. I love doing because it's one on one. Um, and they always want to do something cool. Like it, it's not the typical family group shot where pretty much all you can do is, you know, put a light in a certain spot to not cast shadows on their faces and everyone look at me and smile and hope like crazy. Everybody's eyes are open. Um, it's that one-on-one and you can get them to do crazy things and they want to take sports athletics type photos and stuff. But the way that I get a lot of those is I'll show up to a football game. Uh, or I'll show up to a softball game and I'll just take some cool photos and post them on, you know, I'll send them to the coach or, you know, whatever. And I'll make sure the parents get them. And uh, I've gotten a lot of high school senior bookings just, just doing that because they didn't, I mean, if you don't, if you don't go out and, and get in front of the public eye somewhat, they don't know you're there. They, They have no idea you exist and you can take the best photos on planet earth, but, no, it's not going to do you any good if nobody knows about it. Um, so I think, you know, a certain, I think a, you need to do a certain amount of, I'm not going to say this free work exactly, but, you know, you have to, you have to put work out there somehow and, and you're not going to get a paying gig every five minutes, every second. I mean, you, you still, you still need to produce something for someone to see. Uh, so and you have to, and you have to produce something that somebody loves, or at least yeah. likes very much. You know, and and this is this is exactly the thing. Like going to a sports game, you know, um, you know, going to an event where people come together because they're really into something that they love, like a car event, for example, or an equestrian event, yeah. or something like that. You know, um, then you know, photographing that will actually mean something to to those people. And you know, the thing mm-hmm. about 
about free work. I hear this all the time as well. Like people are like, oh, you shouldn't work for free, blah, 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 because it undermines the whole industry and all that kind of, you know, all that kind of stuff. You know, you know I mean, this, you know, there's to, to an extent, there's probably some truth to that, but, and here's the big but, it's, I generally, I mean, generally I say, I don't work for free. This is true, except right. I work a lot for free. The difference is I decide when I want to work for free. So, you know, in other words, like, yeah. you know what it's like? I mean, I, you know, I used to have a career in music before I got into photography and, mm-hmm. you know, a guitar player. So, you know what it's like? Like, you play the guitar, somebody comes up to you and he goes like, hey, man, no, you can, yeah, you can, you're really good at playing the guitar. Oh, thank you, man. Oh, do you want to come to my party? Uh, yeah, right. sure. Sounds good. You know, oh, but make sure you bring your guitar because it'd be awesome, you know, to hear you play. And I'm like, <laughs> well, but now, so, okay, so what, do you want to hire me? Like, is that a thing? Right. Or you just want me to show up and, and play for your other guests, you know, because that's not what I do because I still have to, you know, pay the rent and, you know, keep my right. kids in Netflix and all that kind of stuff, you know. Right. It's not yeah. going to, I just, you know, and it's exactly the same in a, in a way with photography, you know. It's like, oh, yeah, you know. And he's got a great camera. He's got a professional camera. Right. It's got a big lens and it's black, so it must be professional. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. do you want to come along to my birthday party and shoot that? Because, you know. You know what I mean? I mean, it's the same in photography. And generally, you know, generally speaking, when I'm asked to, when I'm asked to do something for free, I, my immediate, and this may sound horrible, but my immediate reaction is usually to say no. Right. Um, yeah. Unless, unless there's a particular, oh, what's, the, what's the best word? I don't know. Unless there's a particular a thing or purpose that I feel that I can serve. Right. Or or it's something I really want to do. Of course, you know, then I'll do it. Um, or it's usually something where I think, oh, actually, this might be a cool thing to do. Um, I want to do it and I want to, you know, I, I want to help and I want to be part of it and I want to give my work away for free. Yeah, yeah. It's cool. Yeah. So, so actually, I end up doing a lot of stuff for free. Um, it's just that I always feel like I want to be in a driving seat when I make those decisions. Um, you know, because I wouldn't ask, I wouldn't ask the neighbor's gardener to come over and mow my lawn for free. Right. Do you know yeah. That? Right. Yeah, and yeah, and I guess I should clarify on that as well because you know, and I and I've gotten those inquiries before where it was, oh, I've got however many thousand hundred thousand instagram followers and if you come do this for me for free then you'll get all of this exposure and you'll get you know the word exposure is the most horrible word i think i've ever heard uh but yeah um you know i i turn down stuff like that all the but time but i always say like i used to say this when i when i when i used to be in the music industry i used to say like yeah i mean the minute i can pay my rent with exposure right I'm game <laughs> you know yeah awesome Pay my gas bill? Yeah, with exposure. 100%. How much is it worth? You know? Yeah. But uh, unfortunately, they all want cash money. And so, you know, I got to somehow, you know, make sure I earn that money. You know, it's it's one of these things. But I mean, I do, I do actually, I really do believe in giving. um, And, you know, and, uh, and, you know, in order to receive, you're going to have to give. And I do, I do feel that's very important. So I actually support a lot of causes. that right. I, I will do free work and uh, often, you know, 
I mean, if, you know, this is one of the one of the sort of topics that I think I've talked about on this podcast a lot, um, where sometimes you just feel that somebody could really do with your skill, and you know, sometimes there's there are situations where you feel like I can actually really make a difference here, you know. Right. That's yeah. A good example is you know a while ago a friend of mine. Um, his business wasn't doing necessarily that well and he needed it was really very apparent that he needs rebranding but he really didn't have the funds to fund all that and right. I kind of thought you know what I can I can help you out like I can shoot some headshots and stuff like that you know and, and to help you out with this um, because I really think that you deserve the help you know yeah and, and that's that's a whole different thing I gladly keep my skill for free in that sort of instance um but you know, this again coming back to events and things, and you know, um, creating you know creating photography for for people who will really love it will get your name out there. And I actually good. I mean, a good example. I see this all the time. You know, when I do a headshot session, uh, more often than not, I will have somebody go like, "Oh, I have to um, I have to bring my kids over," you know, because I, re- I really love like a, a family portrait. I don't mm. really advertise family portraits. It's not really something that you'll find on my website, right? Uh, but I'm ha- absolutely 100% happy to do it. And not, not necessarily for free, but, you know, it's it's these sort of conversations come up in the context of photography, you know? Mm-hmm. And so um, more often than not, one thing leads to another thing. And then before you know it, it leads to it leads to another thing that will actually pay you rent. Yeah, and I think, you know, and there's a lot of, I think to a lot of people, it's black and white, you know, that I don't work for free. And I, I think there's a lot more nuance to that than, what people give it um and yeah and i'm not saying just do anything anyone wants for 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 nothing um but and i think you really got it when you you need to do it on your terms like it it needs to not be just whoever wants you to do something you just go do it um and I think, you know, there's multiple reasons. And like you said, helping a good cause, you know, I mean, if you think somebody, if you want to help somebody, help them. I mean, that's your choice. Um, and, and I don't think you should have to explain that to anybody. Um, and also, I, I mean, yeah, go ahead. What goes around comes around. That's how, that's how I look at it. You know, yeah, it's like you help, you help somebody out at some point, you might be the one who needs to help and things come full circle. You know, that's, that's just, that's right. And especially when you're just when you're just starting out, like let's say for instance, you know, you've you, you really have fun taking pictures. You think you're getting pretty good at it, um, and and you're thinking, oh, maybe this might be might be a way to create a side hustle, for example. So really, there's, I think it's a typical situation where people have, you know, a, a job, and then maybe they they can think, oh well, you know, actually maybe you can make some extra money with with photography, you know, and, to, and then it's just, it's just a thing of like, well, how do I get started and doing exactly this, given, giving work for free, um, you know, helping other people, getting your name out there. That's very often just a perfect stepping stone for that. Um, yeah. So how did you, how did you get from like equestrian uh, photography then into doing family portraits? Was, was it just a matter of like people asking or how did, how did that develop to start with? Hey, let me just jump in real quick to tell you about the amazing sponsor of this episode, Platypod. Platypod offers innovative camera support systems designed to unleash your creativity. With their stable, versatile, and portable solutions, you can capture stunning shots like never before. And I'm not just saying that. As the host of the Camera Shake podcast, I can personally vouch for Platypod's incredible products. 
They've become an integral part of the show. In fact, I'm surrounded by various Platypus products holding up lights, cameras, microphones, and so on. It's really helped to transform the way I make the show and the way I shoot at home, in the studio, and on location. But don't just take my word for it. Explore Platypod's website at www.platypod.com to discover their range of products, including the Platypod Extreme, Platyball Tripod Heads, and the brand new handle, of course. Make sure to follow Platypod on Instagram and Facebook at Platypod Tripods for exclusive updates, tips, and giveaways. By choosing Platypod, you're not only investing in your photography, but you're also supporting the Camera Shake Photography Podcast. Thanks again to Platypod, our amazing sponsor. Platypod, where innovation never sleeps. More or less, yeah. Um, like I said, you know, I had a family member that had a, a, a son that was graduating high school and wanted photos done, and and so I did that, and um, and I did. I actually uh, I put a thing out, and I said, hey, uh, I'm looking for a family that you know wants their family portraits done. I won't charge you anything, but I want to be able to use them for you know. And, um, so I had a family come out and I still work with that family. I did their family photos again this year and, you know, and charged my normal rate. So, I mean, it, it, it works out. Um, but they came out, I did their portraits, which, you know, it's another one of those things that that was just getting, just getting started. And I think I shot like group photos at like F 1.8 or something or whatever, (laughs) you know, they're like the the kid in the front row was perfectly sharp and then everybody else was completely out of focus. Um, but it got me started and it got me something to put out there. And I, I think that might, uh, touch on another aspect is I see this a lot in photographers that have become good friends of mine and they, they won't put their work out there and they won't start charging or they won't get into business until they think, their work is technically perfect. Uh, and I think that's a big mistake. I think people say, well, you shouldn't charge money for work. That's not up to uh, a commercial standard, which I mean, to an extent I can understand that, but at the same time, you know, you're not, when you start, you're not charging, you know, top level. Uh, and that's the other thing that I see too. I see, I see people that they say, you know, don't start at a low rate because you'll never be able to raise your rate. I, I don't really agree with that. Um, I think the thing that you see is that when you charge a hundred dollars, you get a hundred dollar clients. And then when you raise your price to $500, you're going to lose those clients and you need to be ready to do that. And you need to be ready to go find the $500 client. And then when you go to a thousand, the same thing's going to happen. Um, I think that maybe people don't understand that you're kind of starting from scratch in a way when you, every time you raise a rate like that, you might retain a few, but most of them you won't. And, and that's, that is so important. Like this is what I've been preaching for, for years, really. You know? Yeah. And this is like, this is so true. Um, the client that will pay 60 bucks for a headshot is a very different client from the client that will pay 500 bucks. Absolutely. Completely different people. And so these people are, you know, those different clients are obviously in different, in different places. They might be in different professions, you know, they might live in parts of town, whatever it is. But, you know, as you, as you grow your skill, 
um, as a photographer, in a sense, you also have to grow your skill as a you know business owner in a sense, and you're good right. enough to uh, what's the word? Um, what is the word I'm looking for? You're going to have to re reconfigure y your business mm -hmm. to uh, you know to attract the type of client that you that you want to attract. Um, and the same thing is true in the wedding industry, for example. You know, the same thing is true. Same thing is true with headshots, and uh, and so on and so forth. It's it really is important to to really think about the the kind of client that you want to attract with the work that you're putting out. And yeah, you got to start. I mean, you got to start somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and you're not going to start at the top. So I mean, the the idea that you're going to jump out there. I guess that you're going to take photos in your basement for five years until you're the best ever. And then you're going to immediately enter the scene at a top level price. You know, I, I see people that think they're going to do that, which I mean, I'm not saying you can't, I mean, it's possible, but, uh, I think your propensity to learn your craft and I, I can think of a, a, a photographer that I will get yelled at <laughs> immediately for saying this, but there's no avoiding that you will learn things on the job. Like you, you're going to learn some stuff while you're working. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't practice. You should have, you should absolutely find some, somebody that's willing to come help you. If, if you're a portrait photographer, you need somebody to show up and model for you every now and then, and you need to practice as much as you can. Um, uh, but you're still going to learn some stuff uh, when when you do the job. And if you're not putting yourself out there and doing the job, I think you're that's a disservice to yourself. I think you need to get out there, do it, put the work out. Uh, don't worry about whether you're at that top level yet. I mean, just put something out there and get that get that lower tier customer. Well, that sounds derogatory, but I don't mean it that way. But get you know, get that cheaper client and, and do the work and put that out there and build on it and build your skills while you're doing it. And then, you know, go through that process of when you raise your prices, you're going to have to find different clients, but, and I'm doing that now. I mean, I'm not an expensive, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near some of the people that you've had on this podcast. I looked, I looked at your Instagram, uh, clips before and I went, what am I doing on here? Uh, <laughs> well, um, uh, but you know, I, I'm, I'm not comparing myself and you know, what I, what I expect to charge for that yet. And I, I don't really have a, have a problem with that. I don't have an issue with where I'm at as far as what I charge, but, uh, obviously no, I want to get better. I want to make more, but, but still, yeah. And, and the thing is also, you know, there's a very, it's a very basic, uh, sort of principle in business just generally. Um, and I'll use it. I'll use an example from from my past. You know, I many years ago, um, I yeah, I was. I mean, I've talked about this many times. But I used to be, like I mentioned earlier, I used to be a musician. I guess I'm always a musician, but I used to be a a professional right. musician, as in like this used to be my main main income. And um, I remember, you know, when I graduated from college, you know, I used to do those session work. But the problem with with music in general is that is that you have to have your fingers in lots of different pies. As I say, you know, you do some session work, some recordings, you could pay for that, but it's not necessarily, it's not like a nine to five job. You know, sometimes you have some sessions coming in, sometimes you don't, and you still have to pay the same amount of rent, you know? 
So you're going to have to find different income streams, as they call it nowadays, diversify, right? So right. you know, what you do is like you, you do some teaching, you know, you play some gigs, you do some recordings, maybe do some writing. You do a whole range of different things. And, you know, sometimes when maybe when you don't have as much recording work coming in, um, then maybe you've got more gigs coming in, maybe you have some students coming in, and then maybe the, the gigs dry up because it's that time of the year or whatever. And then, you know, and then you've got maybe some more teaching work. So it's always like a, a balancing act, yeah. basically. And so I remember when um, I moved house, I uh, moved out of London um, into the, like about 45 minutes out, outside of London. But, um, and and so it's a new place and I needed to, you know, I, I needed to get some, some wonga coming in, as they say in the UK. And so I got myself an agent and I basically started accumulating guitar students. Um, and as it turned out, I was actually quite good at that. And before I knew it, my week was, my timetable was full. Like literally I was teaching every afternoon, Monday to Friday, and even Saturdays. And I really got to the point pretty quickly, maybe within sort of eight months or something, I got to the point where I couldn't take on any more students. And so, and then the question was like, okay, well, what are we going to do now? I mean, I can't take on any more students because I haven't got the time. So I literally maximized the potential on that. And then you really only have two options then. You can either raise your prices quite dramatically. Let's say double your prices. You're going to lose a whole lot of students, no doubt, right? Let's say you lose half of your students. But what you're actually gaining is half of your time. So right. now you have a lot of time. You're still making the same amount of money, but you've got more time to then either add more students or do other things in order to you know increase your income. And so this is one option you have. You can you know you can basically raise your prices. You know, and yes, mm-hmm. like you said earlier, you're going to lose some 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 clients, but you're going to gain new ones, and these are going to be very different clients um, from yeah. the ones that you've you know. And eventually, what's going to happen is over time you're going to sort of, you know, um, what's the word? You're going to replace your existing client base with this new type of client. And overall, your income is going to increase, right? And then right. then you're going to get to the point where actually you might you might move from um, from a side hustle type of business where it's just some extra money that you make. It doesn't really matter because maybe you have a main job and that's your main income. And maybe you just, you know, like I think we all started like that. I remember you know, earning some extra money so I could buy a new lens or a new camera body. Photography is an expensive right. hobby. Like, uh, you know, yeah. it's like this this stuff costs real money. So, you know, and um, yeah, and then, you know, oh, the other option that I had in guitar lesson terms is, you know, I figured, well, I can either raise my prices or I could get other people to teach for me. And so that's what I did at the time. You know, I... I you know, figured, okay, well, I can hire another guitar teacher to pick up some of those students that I can't teach. Um, and then, but then I very quickly thought like, huh, but if I can hire another guitar teacher, I might as well hire a drum teacher and a bass guitar teacher and a singing teacher and a drum mm-hmm. teacher, whatever. And then you very quickly start thinking along the lines of a school. That sounds pretty much like a school to me, like where you have yeah. a drum teacher and, yeah. And so and that's, then I figured, okay, well, so, all right, I guess I'm setting up a school then. I guess that's what I'm doing. And, um, and then I set up a school and I ran that school for 12 years. Um, oh, wow. And, you know, and then before I knew it, um, I think within the first year, it went from zero to like 350 students and I had like 16 employees at some point. And we just, it just went nuts in the first year. Wow. 
Um, yeah, it was crazy. Um, and I wasn't, I really wasn't prepared for that. Um, I, you know, I knew how to teach and I knew how to play the guitar, but I really didn't know how to run a business. And this is like, yeah. this is the other thing that I learned on the job. And this is what you, know, what you mentioned earlier about learning stuff on the job. That is so, 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 so important. Um, right. Because you just, you know, you just never know what, you know, what's around the corner. And for me, I, I certainly didn't. I, at no point when I was at music college did I think I'm going to run a business where I'm going to have to deal with like taxes and salaries. And right. All of the kind of stuff that really doesn't have anything to do with playing music, but has a lot to do with running a business, you know? Right. I had zero idea. Like, you know, VAT, sales tax, for instance, they call it over here, you know, mm-hmm. value added tax. Yeah. What the heck is that even? <laughs> right. You know, how do you deal with like the inland revenue? Like, well, no idea. And it was a, you know, it was a very steep learning curve as it, as it would be for, for, for anyone getting into, into that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, it's, it's super important to, to put yourself into that situation. And, you know, when you come up against a problem, you figure it out. And the next time you come across the same problem, you already know the solution. Yes, you had to figure yeah. it out in class. You know that's the important part. I don't, did you was that? Did you have a similar experience to that? Absolutely. Um, so some of the events that I used to do, I actually have. What I wanted to try was printing on site, and in Oklahoma, if you sell anything that is a digital download, then you don't have to worry about your value added tax. Uh, but the instant that it's a tangible product then that applies so that was my that was where i've got thrown into that was i i showed up to an event as a vendor which you know normally i was not really considered a vendor i was just i was their photographer i was providing a service uh and as soon as i pulled a trailer full of printers and computers and stuff you know onto the onto the event uh venue and uh offered a print uh, as a product, uh, instantly this, this person walks up with this stack of paperwork and says, here, you need to fill this out. And, you know, and, and now instantly you're paying, uh, you know, or you're adding a percentage of tax to every product that you sell. And so that was, that was that introduction to that. And I was like, what, or what is that? What is this? You know, I take, I take photos. What is this for? Uh, yeah, exactly. And, and also why, like why, right. <laughs> you know, yeah, why, why do I charge yeah. the transaction? Like what is going on? But, you know, I mean, it's the same thing like with, you know, I remember, um, so here in the UK, the way it works is it's basically um, you don't, like you don't pay VAT or you don't have to charge VAT if you're under a certain income threshold. And I think at the time it was like 65 grand or something like that per year. Uh, It's it's gone up a little bit, maybe 75. I'm not actually sure exactly what it is, but it's in that sort of, in that sort of region. Um, But when you hit that threshold, you're going to have to register um, for VAT. So you got to be a VAT mm-hmm. um, registered um, business, and um, I remember, you know, when I started the the music school, um, never in a million years did I think that we were going to hit that that threshold ever, actually, let alone right. in the first in the first year. But um, it became very apparent um, after about six months that we were like really on the trajectory to hitting that, like within you know month ten or something. 
And it's like, oh, oh well. shoot, we're gonna have to. You don't get to register, <laughs> otherwise we're gonna be in deep trouble. Um, right. But also, what that immediately meant was that we, and at the time, oh yeah, at the time, so the the VAT here was seventeen point five percent. So basically, all of us from today to tomorrow, you're gonna have to raise your prices, but but just under twenty percent. That's a lot, you know. And yeah. you still, well. But the reality is, is that for things like music lessons, for example, you know, there's a there's a ceiling in how much you can charge, um, because there's lots of competitions around. You know, there's like anything from the dude right. who's who's teaching guitar out of his bedroom, you know, to uh, you know other schools and all the rest of it. So there's sort of a ceiling to how much you can charge, and so at, at the same time, you can't absorb that amount of tax. You know, you can't just say, "Well, I'm just going to take a you know 17.5 percent pay cut." <laughs> you can't. Yeah. So right. it's it's really tricky, like making that transition from you know from being non VAT registered to being VAT registered over in the UK. It's like that's a that can potentially be really quite tricky, you know. And um, and and yeah, and it's you know it's I don't know, it, it seems to work slightly differently um, in different places around the world, obviously. And the the percentages vary. Um, I know that a lot of states in the US have considerably less um, sales tax. Um, than than we have in the UK. I think now it's actually twenty percent over here. So which is like, wow, you know, yeah. But um, but it's you know, it's a really good example for something that you have to wrap your head around if you're not if you don't have a business degree and yet you're starting out on a journey and maybe you get to the point where all of a sudden these things become important, you right? But also they're just you know they're just mistakes you make once then you get stung <laughs> and then you're gonna right. you're gonna try right. and not make that mistake ever again. You know, yeah, happens to the best of us. Um, yeah, so how was that? You know, I, I mean, I'll go ahead. Sorry, how how was that for you? Like, you know, making that sort of transition into actually running it as a as a business rather than just a little side hustle. Was that uh, for, for you? Oh yeah, and it's still a learning curve for me. I'm a horrible slow learner when it comes to when it comes to running a business. I still, you know, I still don't. I feel like I still have no idea what I'm doing. Uh, but I mean, and it's like you said, you stumble through it. You you something jumps up and then, you know, sometimes it's an expensive, painful lesson. And then you, you learn that and you move on, whether that's has to do with taxes like that or, um, or, or dealing with an employee. I mean, I've had, I've never really had, you know, a steady employee. I've had contracted work where I've had to do, you know, tax forms and stuff for that. But, um, I've never really had someone on steady where I was having to, that's another thing. I don't, the responsibility of of providing an income of making an income for another person or another family or you know that's that's a whole different uh that's a whole different concept uh in my mind anyway because when i'm when i'm on my own it's you know i can be willing to you know live on ramen noodles or whatever, you know, for a certain amount of time, if things aren't exactly going well, but if I was taking on an employee and having to think about their needs, you know, I'm not, I don't necessarily want them to have to involuntarily live on ramen noodles because the business isn't exactly doing well. So, um, it's a whole different, that's that's a whole different ball of wax. Absolutely. And you absolutely right enough. You know, I've experienced that firsthand. Um, you know, I had 16 employees at one point. And, wow. you know, any business goes through, you know, peaks and troughs. Like sometimes it's going well, sometimes it's, you know, you're going through a low. Uh, this may be, maybe not necessarily something to do 
with the, the way that the business is actually performing or it may just simply be a cash flow issue. And so right. in education, you know, in education in the UK, it's it's kind of tricky because you're so you're paying your employees on a monthly basis, but you're charging traditionally you're charging your your clients um, on a half termly or termly basis. So a half term is about six weeks. So it's you. It's basically so you you're kind of charging around school terms over here rather than on a monthly basis, which is kind of weird. But and I'm not sure whether it's the same elsewhere, but this is certainly very often what it's like over here in the UK. So you get okay. these these discrepancies in cash flow. You know where you come to the end of the month and you know you've got to pay salaries, and you know you've got the money coming in in two weeks' time, right? Because you've invoiced and everything. That's no good to you right now. Because you've got to pay right. your 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 employees now, you've got to pay the salaries now, and so you know a lot of the times, quite quite often over the course of like twelve years or whatever, um, quite often I was in a in a situation where you know I had to pay my employees first, and I I'm not taking any any salary because it's mm-hmm. just not in the business right now, and everybody right. else getting paid except for me. That is unfortunately the responsibility of of the boss or the director. At that point, is to be, you know, is to be that that safety stop basically. Um, yeah, it's like there's, you know, there's no way that you cannot pay your employees because if you don't pay your if you don't pay your employees, they're not going to work for you. And if you don't have anybody to work for, you don't have a business. And then, yeah, everything goes to pot. <laughs> you know, right, right. Also, also not something I I uh, accounted for when I started this thing because it's like I thought, oh, this is great, I'm going to make money. Uh, and then I realized, oh, I'm the last one to get paid around here. This, this, right. This, this isn't panning out the way I wanted it. <laughs> but yeah. that's how it is. Yeah. You're right. Yeah. It's a it's a really tricky thing. Um, so yeah, think think twice before you take on any other employees. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's that's something I've thought uh, extensively about. You know, because I've been in that situation where I thought, man, if I if I had someone to handle. X, uh, where I didn't have to touch that, then I could do, you know, I could, I could bring in more volume of work or I could do this, I could do that. Uh, but at the same time, it's like, well, I think if that need was more constant, you know, all of the time, then that, if I thought it would pay for someone else to do that, then that would be fine. But when you hit a a two month, three month stretch where there's nothing and, you know, being a small town photographer, I mean, I'm, I am about a 20 minute drive at the very minimum to get to anything. Uh, and to get to a sizable city, I am an hour from one and an hour and a half from another. Um, so the population of the nearest town to me is about 2,500 people-ish, something like that. Uh, so even, and and I'm not by any stretch the only photographer in the area um, that's interested in doing the kind of work that I do. Um, so I'm, I can't just do one thing. And you were talking about being diverse in what you do. Um, if, if I have to do it, you know, I'll go shoot real estate photos. I'll, I'll do family photos, senior photos. I'll do the odd wedding, even though weddings are to me are like a war zone, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'll do a wedding every now and then. Um, 
I'll uh, do basically whatever it takes. And, you know, I mean, as a, you know, a lot of small town photographers and I've, I think this is true to an extent, we pretty much have to shoot everything. Um, you know, I'll, I'll shoot the ball games. I'll, I'll show up and photograph whether it's baseball, softball, football, basketball, whatever, um, do sports team, uh, photos. I just did a little, you know, uh, girls basketball, um, just their team photos were basically I do their group, their group shot and then take individual photos of each one of them and have like a, basically just an order form where their parents take it home, fill it out, that sort of thing. Uh, whatever I've got to do to keep that, uh, coming in. And, uh, so it's kind of, I don't even know. <laughs> I don't even know what I would be hiring when I tried to hire somebody to, <laughs> to to do to do to do what you know yeah well that's that's actually that's a really that's a really great point in fact you made a, a number of really great points there you know one is um so when you're especially you know depending on where you are whether you're in a big city um, or whether you're out in the in the prairie somewhere you know or even when you're in a suburban area like i am you know i'm i'm you know i'm not i'm not really in london i'm in a suburban in a suburban area of suburban London, if that makes any sense, I'm at the very outer fringes of London, like literally. Right. Okay. Five minute drive from from here is like beautiful countryside, um, and then you know, uh, fifteen minute drive in the other direction, you're really in in urban London. You know, so it's I'm sort of really at the very at the very edge, yeah. and it means that to a large degree, what I do um, is is fairly typical for like a small town photographer, as you described. You're going to have to do a number of different things. Like, I remember, you know, I remember when I first got into headshots, I thought, oh, yeah, headshots. Everybody's talking about headshots. Brilliant. Awesome. I'm going to just drop yeah. everything else and all I'm going to do is headshots. That, like, where I am, that doesn't work as I had to find out the hard way because right. if you're in the center of London, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's like so many businesses and like, uh, you know, hardly anybody lives in central London. It's all, it's all, professionals right so yeah headshots right i'm sure you can make a brilliant living just shooting headshots you know why i am not so much right because your hardcore professionals are not really going to travel an hour on the tube on the, you know on the train to come out right where i am just to have the headshot done because on the way they're probably passing a hundred really great headshot photographers that are much closer you know and and a, you know much more efficient you know, for, for, for those kind of people. So, so really, you know, out here, I'm going to have to have a variety of different things. And, you know, a, a number of things that you hear all the time are absolutely true. Like the specialist can charge more than the generalist. I hear that all the time. Yeah. It's true. But, mm -hmm. you know, you can't necessarily be a specialist all of the time. You know, I often sort of equate it, I sort of think of it like this. If you want to be a specialist for something, you probably have to go, you have to move yourself to a place where that specialism makes yeah. sense, right? Yeah. Um, so if I wanted to be a 100% headshot photographer, you know, especially factors or whatever, I would have to basically move into town. That's what I would have to do, right? Right. I don't want to do that, though, because I quite like it where I am. <laughs> We've got lakes, right. you know, there's trees. Yeah. You can actually see green once in a while, you know, it's... Right, it's you know, it's nice. I like it here. So I don't want, I don't want to move. Okay, 
So then I have to take into account that that just doing headshots isn't really gonna work. You know, so I'm gonna have to be more of a generalist. Um, and the way that I've always approached it is, you know, I basically I do a number of things, and then I look at what I do, and I basically I look at what brings in what amount of revenue, mm-hmm. and then I think, well, it, what's a good example? Um, oh yeah, so a good example would be. Um, property photography, mm-hmm. um, uh, industrial photography, and let's say, I don't know, let's say birthday parties. Let's say, right. So right. I have some clients, oh yeah, construction, that's what I mean, construction, um, construction photography. So, you know, I have some clients who are in the, in the construction industry. So when I, you know, I, I did that for a few years, I did a little bit of this and a little bit of that, and then I looked at, at my end of year kind of accounts and I basically figured, okay, well actually the construction photography brings in this much money per job. The birthday parties bring in that much money. Mm-hmm. And overall the construction jobs actually pay a lot more per job. And there's a ton of construction going on around here, right? Right. So I kind of figured, well, actually, you know, my energy is better spent focusing on potential construction clients than it is on birthday party clients. Because to make the same amount of money, I need to find more, considerably more birthday party clients, you know, than construction clients. So if I only have a limited amount of time to market my business, um, I might want to spend that time on something that actually brings in more revenue than than they're not, right? Um yeah. there's one caveat though. You know, if you're if in 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 your business, if you're the kind of person who loves shooting birthday parties, if that's your thing and you just absolutely love it, then but right. just go and do that, right? Nobody can say don't do that. Um right. if that's do you know what I mean? If if you love weddings, if that's like really your thing, you love the whole thing, then by all means, just shoot weddings, one hundred percent. Right? Everybody gets married. Absolutely. No matter if you live in a country, you know, if that is the thing yep. you want to do, perfect. Um, but if not, then it may actually, it may actually make sense to really to focus on the on the one part that, you know, or the or the two or three different bits of your of your portfolio that actually brings in the money, and and then yeah. just really focus on that. As the other thing that you mentioned is like, okay, so, you know, when do you hire somebody to do work for you, especially if you're not necessarily always 24-7, seven days a week, 12 months, I can't even think how many, how many weeks are there in a year? 54, whatever. Uh, 56 uh, you know. or, or something like, something that. like that. You know, this is not a maths podcast. <laughs> Math is hard. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, so if like all year round, if you're, you're not necessarily in a position, you know, where, um, you could always afford to employ somebody. Yeah, you, know, you might want to think, okay, well, now, and actually, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna wrap this into a very typical situation. Here's the thing, you know, a typical situation for any solopreneur, like a one man band type of business, is the thing that you know in in the beginning when you don't have a lot of work, you have the time to do a lot of marketing, so you can get in touch with companies, potential clients, da da da, put your right. name out there, create you know social media collateral, like post here there and everywhere and create videos and all mm-hmm. that you can do that because you get the time to do it um then 
let's say your marketing activities show results and you actually land right. some clients and now you're going to start doing work. Awesome. And so now you're busy doing the work. But if you're just a one-man person or one-woman person, you're now doing the work, but now you don't have time to market yourself. And so you're constantly going through this this like, this this like flip-flop sort of situation where you're flipping between having right. a lot of work to having not a lot of work because whilst you're working, you couldn't do the marketing. And then when you're marketing, you're not obviously working, but you're then getting the work in order to then work and not being able to do the marketing. And, and so you're flipping, you know, you're flip-flopping back and forth between these these two cycles, either you're really busy or you're not busy at all. And, right. Yeah. And that's, that's really is a problem, you know, and in an ideal world, like you think like, oh, well, but if I had somebody who does them, so, I mean, you can you either love doing marketing or you don't. Right. Right. If you don't love the marketing, like the getting on the phone and calling potential clients, then it makes sense to hire somebody who can do that whilst you're out doing the shooting. Right, same thing yeah. with editing. Yeah. Like, if you're the kind of photographer who doesn't mm. like editing, well, hire an editor, or find mm-hmm. another way. Dare I say it? AI, whatever it may be, right? <laughs> to do right. The editing, to do the editing for you. If that's if you don't like that, um, then that's cool. If you love the editing, well, maybe hire somebody else to do the shooting for you. Whatever it may be, right? But the the problem is always like, okay, yeah, it's like you said. You know, you're often not necessarily in a position where you can like full time employ somebody to do that all of the time and and then you know you might have to think of like different solutions for that maybe you can hire somebody part-time maybe you can hire somebody on a freelance type of basis a couple of hours yeah and that's i've had the best success so far uh doing stuff like that yeah yeah i mean the you know there are people who run businesses in a self-employed freelance type of way uh, that basically consists of doing the marketing, getting on the phone, calling potential clients. You know, yeah. marketing is what they used to call it. I don't know if they're still, right. they probably still call it telemarketing. Whatever it is, you know, if you're like, if you can find somebody who basically will get on the phone to make connections with with potential new clients and you mm-hmm. can get them, even if they only do it for two hours a week, that's still better than not doing it. Right. Yeah. You know? And... And then things become a lot more affordable than um, than necessary thinking of like hiring somebody full time. And I often, in my experience, I often think that people sort of shirk away from that idea because they're immediately thinking, "Oh, I'm going to have to employ somebody like full time." To right, you know, and that's not necessarily necessary all the time. Yeah, and and you know, and that's a. I mean, that's an insecurity, uh, thing, you know, it's kind of a, it's a insecurity and a scarcity kind of a reaction, which I mean, I'm certainly guilty of that. Um, but, um, and I think really you hit the nail on the head. We, we create our own boom bust cycle when we do that, you know, um, it, it, that is 100% true, uh, that, you know, when you have all the time of the world, yeah, of course you're going to be scratching and clawing to try to get as many clients as you possibly can. And then all of a sudden you have, I, I am way guilty of doing that. Um, uh, you know, when, then you get so busy, you don't ever want to look at Instagram again and, or, yeah. or, you know, or whatever, or pick up the phone or call, I, you call it telemarketing. I was, the word that came to mind was cold calling. Yeah. Uh, cold calling. That's what I was still for. Yeah. Exactly. I hate doing that. 
but uh yeah so definitely having somebody to handle stuff like that would be fantastic and i've done you know some things where i've had somebody on uh you know not even necessarily part-time or freelance like you're saying that have done something like that before but and i've had you know it's it's kind of a revolving door i mean you're you're going to and that's the other thing is uh whether it's hiring or even vouching for somebody to be hired uh like that's always tough is is sorting through enough people because you're going to get some people that are not going to click with you well um that are just not necessarily going to work out. So there is going to be some pain to go through there before you find somebody that, uh, really clicks well with your business and you personally, uh, enough to, to get that to work out. So there's, there's also that challenge to overcome. Um, but yeah, I definitely understand. Like, I'll, I totally agree with a lot of what you, what you said there. It's, it's really tricky in the beginning also, you know, to, Again, we're talking about like that very that first so the beginning phase when you're first starting to get into, you know, into the into photography as a business, you know, where mm-hmm. you just don't know what's going on. Maybe you know you haven't necessarily got a business degree. You know, it's it's funny this. You know, my my kids, my my youngest daughter in particular, like whenever she, I remember when she was first born, right? So you know, at the time, like I said, was a full time musician, and her mom was a vocalist, like a singer. And so people just say, oh, it's going to be amazing. She's going to be an amazing musician. You know, her mom's a singer, her dad's a guitarist. She's got to be, this is going to be great. And I always used to think like, I hope she becomes an accountant because that's <laughs> really useful. No, right. we need an accountant. That's what we need. We don't need another like breadless musician in the family. You know? <laughs> like study accountancy. That's going to be your business or something like that. Oh, that's going to be, that's going to be useful. But you know, it's it's true. I mean, it's 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 a difficult it's a difficult period, you know, to get in, like to get through to running, yeah. and especially if you don't have any of those prior knowledge. It's important to to you know just get some. I mean, there's so many resources nowadays um, that just weren't around 15 years ago, you know, because oh, yeah. of the internet and 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 courses that you can do. Uh, the information that you can get hold of now is so much easier. When I first do, uh, started doing my tax return, when I first uh, went self-employed as a musician, I remember like um, in the late 90s, early, early 2000s, you, could, you couldn't even do your tax return online. You know, you had to go right. out and fill out a, a paper return. And I remember like being on the phone to the end of the revenue, like to the helpline for hours. Like going like, but this doesn't make any sense. Like if I fill in this box, I have to go where? Like when? what, what do I need to put in there? It was complicated. Now, it's all online. It's actually dead easy to do your own tax return, in the UK at least it is. You know, it yeah. just automatically guides you through it, you know. You fill in one thing, it automatically takes you to the next relevant box, you know. Right. Like, you know, honestly, you don't you don't need half a brain to be, to be able to do your own tax returns. It's so much easier now. But back in the day, mm. oh man, it was a nightmare, you know. And of course, I'd always do it like, you know, five days before the annual deadline, and then everybody would be on the phone <laughs> to the helpline, right. and so you could never get through it. You know? Yeah, and you know, again, something I've learned: do your tax return in time <laughs> in case something goes wrong. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's 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 difficult to um, you know, to foresee those things, and once and then once you're in it, of course, this is the other problem. Like often, you only start dealing with those problems. Once you once you actually encounter them, 
you know. Right. That's the thing. That, yeah. That that circles back to, you know, don't don't just hone your craft in your basement for 10 years and think that you're going to come out and be extremely successful as a business in photography. Like get out here and and you know, learn the hard lessons. You you can either learn them now or you can learn them later, but you're still going to have to go through it. I mean, it 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 does it doesn't really matter unless I mean unless you're taking a business course in the basement while you're doing your photography while you're learning your photography skills at the same time, uh, which you're still going to there's going to be unforeseen circumstances that you're going to run into. So yeah, I think that that ties back in perfectly with um, you know all of it in general really you know where where it comes to practicing you know on the job and that doesn't just go to your photography skills that that is very very relevant to your business knowledge is you know if it takes getting out here and falling on your face do it i mean you know you're gonna have that's uh, just the thing when you get you you are gonna make mistakes you have to make mistakes in order to learn from yeah you know yeah if i mean it's this really interesting thing and it's actually, let me come to this point. There's, there's something else you said that was really quite, um, quite very true, actually, for anyone, practically. Um, because you mm-hmm. said earlier, you know, you're not the only photographer that shoots the kind of stuff that you shoot in your area. And this is, oh, yeah. this is true, for, yeah. it's true for anyone, and regardless of what it is, unless you have some, you know, brand spanking, brand new idea of something that nobody's ever done before, which I can't really imagine, you know, yeah. then there's going to be competition out there. And then the question yeah. is... You know what are you going to do about that? Uh, because it's very easy. To, it's very easy to say, "Oh well, I'll, I'm not, I'm not going to shoot headshots because there's already like five other headshots in my uh, headshot photographers in my area." Or I'm not going to shoot weddings because there's already, you know, three other wedding photographers on my road. <laughs> you know? Right. That's not. I mean, that's not really a reason to not do it. I always think like, well. Because people always say like, "Oh yeah, I, I'm not. I can't do that because the market is oversaturated." Well, if there are five wedding photographers in your little town, that tells me that there's most likely going to be a lot of weddings going on in your area. So exactly. Potentially, this may not be the worst thing to do. The question is just how do you differentiate yourself from right. the other yeah. wedding photographers? You know, and that's often where the trick is, really. Yeah, and I mean, I'm. That's something that I've latched onto is that I'm not. I'm not the world's best when it comes to posing someone, and and I'm not the the. I'm not the greatest ever at and anything really. But something that I noticed that's not done very much in my area is that a lot of my local photographers shy away from using flash they don't use flash they 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 don't seem to be interested in using any kind of off-camera strobe or anything like that um they're very much into the um what do you call light and airy that they they that is a and they all look the same like almost all the photographers on my area their work looks i can't tell them apart if i if i scroll through a photography group that's a local photography group I can't tell whose photo belongs to who. Um, and that's something that I have, I did pretty early on was that immediately I went and bought a, an off camera flash. I bought a strobe 
and started learning how to use it. Uh, so that's something that I've leaned into hard to a fault almost. I mean, like I've, I've done it to the point where like, that's my, I mean, off camera flash is like 90% of my personality now. So, but, uh, that's, that's just an example. I'm not saying everybody needs to do what I just did, but I mean, that's, that's just one thing that you can do where your work looks substantially different. I'm not even saying necessarily that it's better. I'm just, maybe someone likes that more than they like what someone else is providing. It's not really a testament to mine is better. It's just that they might not like that. They might like mine. It's, you know, and everybody has their own preferences. Um, so, but if you're exactly like everybody else, as far as your work that you're producing, then all you're competing on at that point is price. And, exactly. and I'm not really interested. I'm not really interested in competing with anybody just on price alone. Uh, I think how I work and, and what my work looks like needs to at least be somewhat different. And like I said, not necessarily, is it going to be better, but it's at least going to be different. Yeah, different is really important. Um, I, I did an exercise the other day, actually, a couple of weeks ago, where I looked at branding photographers um, mm. in my sort of greater area, basically. Um, and what I found was really interesting, like they really do all look the same. I mean, yeah, you know, I, I mean, branding photography, you might, you would think, like, I mean, bra in, in my head, right, branding photography is basically enhancing a businesses brand visually right yeah but if i look at loads of, of branding photographers in my area i realize that they make every brand look the same because all the photos look the same and that's sort of in my head kind of missing the point surely you want to make brands stand out so if you shoot a brand or you shoot imagery for a brand then it doesn't make sense if you make Every brand looked the same. <laughs> it's, right. it's, it's, none of this makes any sense to me. So, you know, so I looked at that and I'm thinking like, wow. So obviously what's happening here is there's clearly a very specific trend going on, a fashion, when it comes right. to um, branding photography at the moment. And, and, and like so many people are latching onto that. And it's mm. like you said, they're completely interchangeable. If you just took all of these photos from all these websites that I looked at, and you basically just put them into one big portfolio, you would not be able to tell, like, these were done by different photographers. They all look the same. Right. You know, and it's and it's the light and airy type of a thing, you know, um, mm -hmm. like, uh, I don't know, female business owner um, dressed in, like, office attire uh, in front of either really modern kitchen or some yeah. kind of, you know, some kind of, like, fancy... Um, super modern like office type of a thing plain backgrounds usually very block colors and that is it and you're like <laughs> wow flip it act. do you know what I mean I mean it's the same everywhere it's just unbelievable you know so I'm yeah. really thinking like whoa okay like this is partial I mean branding photography is, is actually partially what I do but I don't do that like, I don't do right. any of that. You know? And so, you know, and of course, that in my head, I'm thinking like, oh, maybe I should be doing that. Well, everybody's doing that. Am I missing a trick? No. Should I be doing that? <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> this is sort of, you know, the, the, the sense of doubt 
comes over you. And I think everybody's in it. Like when you yeah. when you first get into the photography business and you look at and headshots is the same thing. You know, right. it's, um it's you immediately think like, oh, maybe I should be doing what everybody it's it's the hard mentality, I think is what it's called. Like where everybody's going in one direction and you immediately think, Oh, maybe I should go in that direction because everybody's going there. And you know, yeah. I, and sometimes I mean you know, sometimes you can fail miserably. I'll tell you a story. Uh, I failed mis- I went to um I went to um, Tao City. That's right. Years ago, I went to Tao City, and I went to um, a casino. And I know, like you know, visiting casinos and gambling and stuff is it's much more common in, in North America than it is over here in Europe. Um, where you know, in North America is a pastime; people like doing it. Over here, not so much. Right? It's just I don't know the the European attitude to gambling is usually like, I mean, and I'm very much generalizing, by the way, because there are lots of there are casinos here and lots of people like. But I'm, I'm generalizing, right? Yeah, yeah. You know, so so the European attitude is always like, "Why should I do that? I'm guaranteed to lose money. This doesn't make, doesn't make any sense, right? <laughs> Why? <laughs> you know? Anyway, so, um, but I found myself in Tower City and um, with friends of mine, and they said like, "Hey, let's let's spend one one night, you know, hidden in the casino. Let's you know, let's see how that goes." And I'm like, "Okay, cool. That's fine. Yeah, fine." So, but I don't understand any of the, any of the games. Like I don't really understand card games, um, but roulette, I understood. Right. So I'm like, okay, this makes sense right. to me. And you, you know, you put some money or some chips like onto a color or a number, and you have a partic- you have a chance of winning or losing. And I figured, well, if I pick a color, then I at least have a fifty fifty percent chance of, of winning or not. Right? And there were like maybe I don't know five or six other people around that roulette table, and. I noticed everybody was putting their their chips on, let's say, black, and I thought, I'm not going to do that. I'm going to put my my chips on red. So anyway, everybody puts their chips on black. I put mine on red. He, you know, spins the thing, and I lose. <laughs> everybody else wins, and I'm like, okay. I'm going to do this again because surely there must be a 50-50% chance of winning. So I'm going to do the same thing again. And this time I have a 50-50% chance of winning. So I did the same th- exact thing again. Same thing happened. Everybody puts their tips on one, you know, their money on one color. I choose the other. I lose again. And I'm like, okay, so three times lucky, right? So now I, de- I have to win because mathematically the odds are in my favor. I did the same thing again. I lost again. <laughs> and at that point, I thought, like, man, I'm just not cut out for this. <laughs> you know, <laughs> the gods don't want me to win at this game. Right. I'm gonna, have to, I'm gonna have to, I'm gonna have to leave. <laughs> you know, but it's one of these things, like, where you know, good example for. Had I just followed the herd mentality, I would have won right. three times. Yeah. Instead, I lost three times. So there you go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, and absolutely, like when it comes to photography, I've had that thought. I thought, you know, man, am I? You know, I might do it, you know, am I out of my mind for, for doing what I'm doing? Uh, but then, you know, every now and then, like something, I'll get that feedback from somebody and something will happen. And, you know, I, I booked a wedding uh, last fall. And one of the things that they said was, you know, the hardest thing that we had to do to, to set this wedding up was finding a photographer. And they said, they all look the same. And they, they said the only one that stood out in our area was you. There was like everybody else, all their work looked exactly the same and it wasn't what we were looking for. And they said, and yours was just 
totally different than everybody else's. So I was like, ah, cool, you know, and on a grand scale, I'm not that different. I'm just different here. Uh, yes, exactly. You know, um, I'm not doing anything groundbreaking, uh, not even close. I mean, I'm, uh, my, my setup and stuff is very simple. Uh, when it comes to photographers in general, I mean, when I go to, uh, a convention or something, you know, I'm, I'm very much, I very much blend into the pack as far as what everybody's work looks like. Uh, it's just for some reason right here, uh, that's not so much the case. So, uh, it's interesting. And also, you know, differentiating yourself, uh, doesn't necessarily mean creating a different product. Um, because no. you can differentiate, you know, you can differentiate, it's a difficult word, <laughs> differentiate, differentiate yourself, um, you know, by doing things differently in terms of, for instance, delivery, or, you know, you could be faster than other people, um, you know, you could, you could use a different process. You know, a really good example is, um, you know, passport photos, for example, not really something that I shoot, but you can imagine, for example, you know, different ways of creating passport photos. They'll end up looking exactly the same, they look like passport uh -huh. photo, but you could go into a store and have, you know, somebody shoot your passport photos. We have them uh, on the on the high street here in the UK. Um, we have them a lot. They're called Snappy Snaps. Close <laughs> the business Snappy Snaps. I know. It's like a chain of like little uh, photo stores. You know, they shoot, uh, they sell frames, they print images, um, and they also shoot passport photos. That's what's what they do. Um, so you could do that. You can go into one of those shops and you know and have your passport photo photo taken. Or what you can also do is you can go to Costco or like any supermarket and there'll be a machine, there'll be a booth, you know, and you mm -hmm. sit in there, you put, you know, nowadays you pay with your phone or whatever, and, you know, you smile at the mirror, you follow the instructions, mm -hmm. the thing flashes a couple of times and, you know, it spits out four or six or whatever um, passport photos. Now, they're going to look exactly the same, actually, you know, white background, you know, your face on it, the right format, print it, you know, so great. So the, the end product is pretty much the same. Right. And, and you know, with, with passport photos, we're not really differentiating, I mean, we're not really differentiating, like, on, we're not competing on quality, really. It's a passport. No. It goes up to your passport. Yeah. Um, we might compete on price, but I've noticed that, I've noticed that, that they cost approximately about the same, you know, um, I deal with a lot of passport photos because my kids have, have like my wife's UK passport and a Canadian passport. I have a German passport. My my daughter has a German and a, and a UK passport. And my, my stepkids have Canadian passports. It's like passports coming out of our house, basically. You know, yeah. And so it's like we're constantly having to like three new passports and getting passport pictures for this and that and the other, you know. Actually, something I'll be doing later on this week as well going to yet another embassy, getting a better passport done for some like some kid, right? Now, so yeah. Anyway, so something something I deal with a lot, um, and I've noticed that you know um, they don't necessarily uh, they don't compete on price. Like the company that runs the machines and the shop that that has a a person sitting in there doing passport photos, right? It strikes me though that 
the business running these machines over time makes hugely more profit than the people running shops, employing people to work in the shops, blah, blah, paying the rent and the business taxes and all that kind of stuff. As opposed to the the guy who came up with the idea of, of, of making machines that take passport pictures and then just place them in every godforsaken supermarket there is. Yeah. Or shopping mall, you know. That's right. like... I went to the to the local mall here and I saw this. Uh, there's like uh, I think there's six of these booths back to back, and I'm thinking that if I, I mean I, I barely ever see a person in one of these booths. I don't know six. How can they like? How can it be? But of course, over time, it's profitable because they don't have to employ people right to, to take those pictures. You know, damn fix a machine. That's like over time, this this works. So, you know, so, so differentiating yourself or, you know, competing with the competition doesn't necessarily mean creating a different product. Right. You know? Yeah. It means- that That's something that we deal with a lot with, uh, with our events, like, uh, barrel racing. Uh, we're going to take the same photo. Like if, if you, I mean, the only difference is, is that we may strobe an arena or we may not strobe an arena. And that just depends on what the lighting situation is like. But generally when I set up on barrel two and I've get a horse coming in around that barrel and I take that head on shot, mine's going to look exactly like yours is going to look exactly like the next person's going to look. So there's no differentiating on the basis of like what our work is going to look like for the most part. I mean, yeah, someone may just have a skill level that they're slightly better at timing, uh, getting the feet placement of the animal where they need to be something like that. But in general terms, we're going to take the same photos at a barrel race. It's a barrel race. They're going to do the exact same thing every time. They're not going to, you know, halfway through the one run, break out into a rendition of Oklahoma or whatever, you know, they're going to do the same thing. Uh, so the way that we have done this and, and my friend, uh, Tracy has been amazing at, uh, developing this is, is her software, her method of sales is how she has done it. Because most of the time when a photographer goes to a barrel race, they will shoot all of their photos they will take all of their photos home. They will spend the next week sorting all of those photos and then they will reach out or they will list them on a website like a, you know, some hosting website like shoot proof or like whatever. Uh, and the contestants will be able to get on their website and purchase them a week after the event. Well, in our world here, a week after the event, you've been to three more races and you've been in front of three more photographers and your mind is not even on that race anymore. You, you mean they don't I mean some, unless something spectacular happened, you won the race or you made a faster time than you've ever ran before. You're probably not going to go back or unless maybe you're trying to sell the horse and you're trying to get certain photos, maybe, but it, the, the circumstances of you purchasing a photo a week after the event become much more specific. 
So you really want that moment where everybody's happy about what they just did. And you, it's that impulse buy. you want that everybody to be excited about being there. And, uh, so what she's done is she's developed a software that you basically get the Excel spreadsheet of the draw and you put that into a computer and we have put the folder change on our camera on a custom button. So when someone runs into the pen, we instantly switch folders in the camera on the, on the memory card. And so all of their photos go into their own folder. And then we switch again when the next runner comes in and then they usually at barrel races, they'll do five runs and then they, they rework the arena. They drag the arena. Uh, and so while they're dragging the arena with a tractor, uh, we'll pull the card out of the camera. We put it in the computer. The software matches the draw sheet to the folders. Instantly ingests all those photos, creates small JPEGs, watermarks them, uploads them to the website, and it sorts them by their name. So now they can get on. We've got viewing computers there at the event, or they can get on their phone or whatever they want to do, and they can see their photos under their name. And it's usually live before they can get their horse back to their stall or their trailer like it's it's very quick um and then they order based on a proof you know which is a small jpeg that the software created and then we can edit retouch you know we can you know crop do whatever we need to do to that photo after the fact so it does a lot of things it gets them in front of the client or potential client much quicker um you're not doing unnecessary editing. You're not going home and editing every photo, whether you think you're going to sell it or not and putting it on your website. Uh, you're only editing or I say editing retouching on demand. Uh, so you don't have to adjust crop, do everything to every single photo that you shoot. You just do it to whatever you sell. Uh, so, I mean, that's been, that's been amazing. And, and it allows, even if, Usually we have a computer operator and a photographer that will work in pairs uh, at these events, but it's not beyond possibility that you can do it one person, you know, operate the computer in between drags and, and do the, all of the photography yourself. Um, but uh, it's been great. And I think... Um, that is going to be a big edge, you know, for somebody like her moving forward. And I'm not necessarily looking to go out and make an event photography business, you know, and spearhead that, but you know, I don't mind doing them once in a while. I just don't know that I want to do it every single weekend. I, I did that for two years and don't really care about it. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a way that she's differentiating herself is through this software, getting them in front of the client quickly and her turnaround times are great because she doesn't have to edit every single thing. And she's when, when she leaves an event other than her orders, she's done, you know, and that's the same case. Anytime I help her, when we leave, we're, it's over, we're done when we leave. So it's, it's great. That is so important. You know, these, these sort of tweaks can really make a massive difference. You know, what you oh, yeah. tell me really, you know, it, it reminds me of two things. One is, um, yeah, anybody who's ever been to um, some kind of, you know, uh, what do you call it, 
like uh, you know something like Disneyland or mm-hmm. uh, Disney yeah. World or something like that. You know, you go on a ride. Um, let's say you're on the roller coaster. Uh, that thing snaps a picture of you. Screaming, yeah, you know, at some point. Yeah. And by the time you leave, you can already see those pictures on a screen, and then you can you know make the impulse buy to buy it. And they're exactly. usually overpriced. It's like ridiculously how, how ridiculously how expensive they are. But you know, right. Um, and it's you know it's like I would. Like, I mean, yeah, I look at the picture and go like, oh, I look crap. My hair's all over the place, you know. That's right. And I would normally walk past it. But, of course, you know, I'm there with like three kids. And they go like, ah, we're going to buy it. Right. You know, I, think I, I think I bought a picture once. You know, so that's what. <laughs> but the other thing, um, you know, the other thing I do um, quite regularly is I shoot boxing matches. And oh, wow. so what happens, um, there, there's sort of, um, it's called uh, ultra ultra white color boxing. I should be those of those for years. <laughs> It's essentially, it's like a charitable thing. So basically, you know, people sign up for this. It's like a bit like, you know, um, it's like one of these event things where, you know, you can like, um, if you would, it's like one of these experience things where, you know, you can either um, experience uh, racing in a drag car race or like in a Formula One car or you go up in a hot air balloon or something. So this thing is basically where you can experience being in a boxing ring or in a cage fight. Okay. For those, yeah, no, for those weird people who think that's a great uh, but I know it's not. But um, there's also there's a charitable thing um, uh, as, as part of it because they raise a lot of money for uh, a cancer charity, and really tens of thousands of pounds, tens of thousands of pounds. Um, and so, so the way this works is they basically get eight weeks of free training, right? So they train with a professional boxing coach, for instance. You know, they train. Um, then oh, wow. the whole thing, the whole event, is set up like a pro, like a pro level boxing events it's a proper ring professional referees and judges and all the rest of it they do the whole thing red and then the blue corner there's an orange oh, it's the whole wow. shebang yeah it's the whole shebang like you know That's the great. like the tuxedo and the whole I mean really the shiny shoes and <laughs> the whole thing so they've got professional boxing announcers and all the rest of it and um, it's a black tie event and often wow. you know there's an audience of up to like up to like 4,000 sometimes they have two Two rings going on in parallel, so it'd be like two fights going on. They've got the big like uh, digital display boards where the the fighters' um, headshots pop up and their stats. I mean, it's really it's done, you know, it's done it's done really well. Um, and do they sell? You know, they sell seats at tables. Um, I, don't, I don't even know how much they go for, but you know, a large proportion of that money goes to charity anyway. So, and then um, and so what happens is. Uh, there's always a, a photographer ringside, and it's very often it's me. And I shoot the whole fight, right? Uh, and there's usually about anywhere between 20 and 30 fights in a row per ring. Okay, so it's, wow. it's a lot of participants. Um, they do three rounds each, and then the winner is crowned or whatever. Um, and, so, and so I shoot the event. And so what happens is I shoot a fight. And after that fight, I'll basically put my SD card into a card reader, which is connected to a laptop. Now, that laptop basically automatically drags the images from the SD card and sends them to the main computer. And there's a guy sitting at the main computer with a printer. And what I do is they basically, out of all the, the shots that I uh, that I took of this particular fight, they'll pick five shots of the blue contestant and five shots of the red contestants. And they create, um, they print them, 
and they create these picture frames that have like the sort of you know the shiny logo of of the of the competition in the middle, and then like five really cool shots of that particular fighter, and they sell that for something like not, I think they're about ninety pounds. It's about one hundred and ten, hundred and twenty bucks, right? Okay, and so and people can basically buy these frames at the fight. Like not a week later, they don't order them. They literally produce them yeah. right there and then. Um, and of course, they make a decent amount of money in setting mm-hmm. these setting these frames, right? And of course, you have the ring girls running around, like you know, after each fight, um, with a sample, you know, to hold it up to the audience, and they go like, you know, blah, blah, they promote the fact, and then you know, people will come up to the the printer booth basically, and they'll yeah, they'll um, they'll buy one of those frames. And then the rest of the of the other 3,000 pictures that I took at this particular event, right, they'll then go online and they're then available um, to purchase after the fact via, uh, I think it's shootproof actually is what I use. Mm-hmm. So I've always thought like, well, that's, that's all well and good. But here's, here's the thing. The guy who makes the frames basically per fight has to quick edit 10 shots. Five for the yeah. corner, five for the blue corner. That's all he does. And I know it's there's a lot of time pressure. You know, these fights don't last very long, da da and it's, it's quite, it's about mm-hmm. high pressures of a violent, right? But that's all I did. I've, I edit all the other shots that I deliver. And I think I deliver mm, per event, I probably deliver anywhere between, if it's a short event, probably 700 shots. If it's a longer event, about 900 right. shots, something like that, right? I have to edit them. And of course, I've come up with a workflow that allows me to edit them really quickly. Um, but nevertheless, I just spent quite a lot of time editing those. Now, then they go up on the website. And I know from talking to the guys, I know that they really don't really sell that many after the fact. So there's, there are not very many people that go onto the website half mm-hmm. the, days after the fight in order to... Yeah, there's just not many of those, right? And that's because... The whole thrill and the excitement of the actual event is over. It's done. Yeah, right. You know, the the like yeah. the the team or the, the guy that's lost is going to be even more unlikely <laughs> right. to buy pictures. Right? Maybe the guy who won. Maybe maybe his family. Maybe, but not. You know, still is after the is after the event. They're probably nursing their injuries. I guess at that point, you know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Still, still trying to. To get the get the blood stop the blood from flowing, I don't know, you know, whatever they do. Right. <laughs> um you know, plus difficult to difficult to look at a screen when you've got ice packs on your eyes all the time. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, you know, um and so I always thought like, well, they're really missing a trick here because what you really want is some kind of mechanism, some kind of app, right? That you can mm-hmm. basically say, Okay, after that fight, you just scan this QR code. And it'll take you to this app or page or whatever where all of these images are. And you can order them right now, right now, right here and now. And these are like yep. the images that have come from my, like I'm taking the SD card out and putting them in a, in a computer anyway. These files are already in the ether. You know, they're already in the air. Why aren't they coming through to some kind of app, some kind of, you know, thing where they can be accessed immediately? And here's the thing. And I know the uh, the ultra wide color boxing thing. These sort of events happen in North America as well, but they're very very popular here in the UK, and they always go along with large large 
large quantities of alcohol. People get <laughs> freaking hammered at those fights. <laughs> hammered, man. Uh, it's, I mean, it is, you know, the Brits like to drink, but this is like one of the, well, it's just like a prime, I don't know if it's the <laughs> audience, the type of audience that's drawn to these kind right. of, you know. But man, people get hammered. I mean, they get hammered to the point where um, there's, of course, ultra high security, as you can imagine. Um, mm-hmm. Who sort of fights and there's lots of like this, you know, there's medical staff. It's a very well organized feed in that respect. But I mean, the amount of times that I've seen fights in the audience break out when they don't agree with the referee's decision or because they're all. Oh, wow. Right? I mean, it's, it's, pretty, <laughs> it's pretty rough and ready. Um, I'm lucky that I'm behind, I'm behind like. Um, I'm behind like sort of safety cordons and stuff like that, so I'm I'm, I'm perfectly right. safe. I'm literally right. I'm I'm at the ropes. I'm literally right close up, uh, often oh, I'm wow. hanging into the ring. You know, when I'm hanging over the ropes or something, I'm, I'm shooting. I'm shooting people yeah. close up and whatnot. Um, but I, you know, the the boxers don't worry me. It's the audience that worry me because they these people get pissed, man. That's just you know, it's it's hilarious. But it also means wow. this: it's going to be very easy for them to pull the trigger on on paying money for photos. Like, this is the state you want them to be in. They're going to buy these damn photos <laughs> right there. there. Yeah. Not three days later when, they, when they've when right. they cured the hangover. Yeah. Not then. Right there. And I've always thought, like, if somebody comes up with a system where they can basically access these files right there, I think they could probably actually stop doing the prints, uh, you know, because, because they're going to make so much more money in, like, the instant gratification of buying those photos. Like, yeah, do you know what I mean? Or maybe they can do both, but you know, it's it's and you don't need anybody like you don't need any other bodies, right? You know, so this is always the thing I'm thinking like, man, this is you know, if I was tech savvy, I would develop something like that, but I you know I can barely touch. Well, right? Yeah, uh, I mean that's basically what that's basically what Tracy's done. Um, yeah, is she's she's built that and it. It will work for, I mean, it would totally work for that. Because um, all you have to be able to do is just change folders in your camera. And and I've yet to see a camera that you couldn't, the very the most I've had to do is like three button clicks because you've had to do like a My Menu and like put the folder change in that and put the My Menu on a custom button. So you had to go there. But um that was like the most complicated thing that I've seen, which is nothing. And just being able to swap folders and you basically just have a set of fields, uh, in this software that you would, you know, say what the event name was, what day it was, if it was a multiple day event, whatever information that you want to add to the file name of each photo. And it, you can put it in those fields. And then you basically put the whichever. So I guess in, in that case, uh, you could do, you could do the fight. You could do, you know, this person versus this person in that, in that field. And then you would just come down whichever fight you were doing, you would just sit. And then every time of, every time you shot a new fight, then you would just change folders in the camera yeah. and then it would go out that way. So, yeah, I mean, it would, that would totally work for that. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's it's because it would be it would be pretty simple because you've got even if you have a multi ring event, you have a photographer per ring. You have to because you can't really cover two, you know, two rings. Yeah, um, yeah. So you it'd be like ring one, fight one. Yeah, ring, you know, because the thing is, um, you'd have both opponents in the same folder anyhow. 
because obviously very often they're both in the picture, you know, so you would literally, right. literally just be fight, you know, bring two, fight six. That's it. Yeah. You know, and, and, and there's even an arena selector on the software because we shoot multiple arenas when we like, if we have a multiple arena barrel race, so it'd be just like having a multiple ring fight. And, uh, there's even a team there. They, it's called a team selector because, or team function, because, uh, one of the events that we've done with it is team roping where you have two guys. Uh, so basically what that does is you put the names in and you use the team. So anytime someone searches one of the names, then all of the photos with that have that person in them would still come up through their multiple to their multiple fights. There's a way that you can do that. I don't, I'm not as familiar with the team function, but uh, that's a possibility. Like you could still do something like that. But even if you just did it by fight, it would still get them close enough. Yeah. So you see, I mean, you know, for, for these sort of events, they're always, you know, they're, they're potential solutions that will oh, differentiate yeah. you from the way that other people are doing it. And this is like, right. you know, this is really where, you know, you don't, you compete on service or speed, you know. Um, yeah. Or, Absolutely. You know, or, um, what's the word? Um, or function rather than rather than on price. I think price is always the last thing you want to, you know, you want to, you want to compete on. In fact, if you can do something faster than somebody else, that's actually worth more money because you're saving somebody time. Yeah. And so yeah. You, know, you can just even charge more because you can do something in like instantly while somebody else might take, you know, three, four, five days to, to turn that around. You know, and that's, that's always, you know. Oh yeah. What, what I, and I mean, I get team, I get team shoots for, you know, youth sports, uh, quite often. And I'm not the cheapest one, uh, you know, but I can print in house, uh, and they don't wait. I mean, I can, I can turn a team around in a couple of days. So, and they, and they know that. So I've, once you do one or two in word of mouth spreads on that, uh, then sometimes you get more than you ask for. Uh, but it, it, that's kind of what I thought when you were talking about your, your music, uh, teaching business is that that's why I was smiling when you were telling me that is because you can, you can instantly get more than what you bargained for. Uh, it, it, depending on how well you serve your, your, uh, your clients. So, yeah. Absolutely. Um, Andy, it's been a really interesting conversation talking about the, you know, the, the business, uh, ins and outs. If there was one tip you give uh, somebody who's maybe thinking of turning their photography hobby into a business, what would that one tip be? Oh my gosh. Uh, I only get to say one. Hmm. Um, I think the most relevant that I've seen my friends and, you know, photographers that wanted to get into it, that the one that they needed to hear more than anything else is probably, uh, don't, don't keep waiting until that you think your work is good enough. Just just go and, and, and start doing it, start charging for your work and, and go for it. Don't wait until you think you're going to be perfect because you don't know. First of all, like I, I didn't know what perfect looked like or what it was anyway. Like I might've thought that my work was great and I look back at it now and it was garbage anyway. So, or at least I, I, that's what I feel. That's just me judging my own, uh, stuff. But, 
um, you're not going to know based on that anyway. Like the, the Dunning Kruger effect is real and <laughs> it's absolutely real. Uh, so just go for it and, you know, uh, find the sweet spot for your price point and, and go and, and don't wait forever to, to start doing it. I'm not saying quit your job right now and go be a photographer. Obviously not. You wouldn't want to do that. Uh, but as far as charging for your work and getting into, getting into the business, I, if that's something that you want to try, go for it. Okay, folks, that's it for today. It was awesome having Andy on the show. And as always, before we go, let me just recommend another episode that I think you like. Check out episode 188 with Joe Edelman, where we discuss how wrong the exposure triangle is in this day and age, or is it? I'm sure you love it. If you enjoy our content, consider supporting us on buymeacoffee.com forward slash camera shake to help us continue creating and bringing you more exciting episodes. It really does mean the world to us. And for those of you who are listening to the audio version of this podcast, did you know that there's a fully fledged video version over on YouTube with plenty of examples of our guest photography in full Technicolor? All you have to do is go over to YouTube, search for Camera Shake Podcast, and you'll be able to watch all past episodes on there. And if you're already on YouTube, well, drop us a comment, hit the like button, ring that bell, and share with your friends. Your engagement helps us reach a wider audience all over the world. Thank you for listening and watching. And remember, a new episode drops every Thursday, so make sure you mark that in your diary. Until next time, keep shaking things up in the world of photography. See you next Thursday. Bye.